0: I love our church, don't you? So grateful. Psalm 46 is our passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, We're going to get into uh, Matthew beginning of next week and uh, continue and head in. It was originally the plan to go into Matthew this Sunday, but we felt impressed strongly by the Spirit of God that we were to focus in here on this psalm. And the title of the message this morning is, Remembering the Big Picture on Election Day. So remembering the big picture on election day is the the title of the message this morning. And uh, Psalm 46 is our scripture. So if you could read along in God's Word with me, that would be great. Let's read God's Word together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we just thank you so much for your sovereign, powerful rule and reign over all things. Oh Lord, your sovereignty extends over every atom and molecule in the universe, Lord. It is complete and total and we know that with that absolute sovereignty you are good and you are infinitely wise and all you choose to ordain. Lord we thank you so much that you are our refuge and strength a very present help in times of trouble. Lord and I pray that this psalm would minister to us as a congregation and Lord at Holy Spirit you would come and you would touch our hearts Increase our passion and our love for Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for our sins and resurrection from the dead for our sins. Lord, also increase our faith and help us, Lord, to be still and know that You are God. In Jesus' name, Amen. God is sovereign, brothers and sisters. He rules over the entire universe. In Isaiah chapter 40, the Word of God says that the nations are like a drop in the bucket to God. Men tend to loom very large in our minds. People can loom very large in our minds and the affairs of men and the affairs of nations can loom very large in our minds. But to God, once again in Isaiah 40, the people to Him are like grasshoppers. He cares for us, and he loves us so much as to die for us to save us. But in terms of our ultimate power as human beings, we are small. God is great. And the affairs of the nations and all their ragings against him make him laugh. In Psalm chapter 2, the Word of God says, The one who sits enthroned in heaven laughs as the nations rage against God and His purposes. And God says in Psalm 2 that He is the one who will judge the nations. He will break them with a rod of iron, the Word of God says. He rules, He reigns over the nations. He rules over all the affairs of men. In Psalm chapter 20, the Word of God says that some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so this trusting in the name of the Lord our God, this trusting and being still and knowing that I am God, as it says in Psalm 46, is really the purpose of the message this morning. I pray that as a result of this, that, that being still and experiencing the peace of God would flow out from an even greater trust in God from every one of us as a result of hearing God's Word today. May we not as Christians in this wonderful nation, and remember, a Christian is somebody who has repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ personally. Unless we receive Christ as Lord and trust in Him as our Lord and Savior, we cannot be saved and I'm talking to the majority of individuals in this room who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. I'm seeking to encourage you, church, but for those of you who have not yet repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, you are not born again and you are not on the pathway toward heaven. And we want to invite you with compassion on our hearts to trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Because it's only through faith in Christ that you can be saved and go to heaven when you die. And so we really pray that you would, even if you're a guest here with us, that you would personally put your trust in Jesus and you would personally turn away from your old life of sin to trust in Christ. But may we not, as Christians in this wonderful nation, put our trust in chariots or horses or men and women, but in the Lord Our trust and our hope must never be in what Scripture says, the arm of flesh. Of what account is man, Scripture says? Don't put your trust in men. Of what account is he, Scripture says? But to put our trust in the Lord. As we look to the situation we find ourselves in, in our nation, and even as we look over the scope of the nations in the world, And as we ponder Tuesday with election day coming, let's be reminded that if we had the power to right now put into power in our government the strongest, most mature, the most God-fearing born-again Christians into the presidency into the Senate, into the House, into state legislature, and into every seat on the Supreme Court, and every court in the land, it would not save one soul for Christ. I'm not saying it wouldn't be a good thing. There could be good things that would come from that. But it would not, and it cannot ever, save one sinner. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that sinners are saved and brought from death to life. And so no matter who is in power, our job is the same. Our job may be made more easy or more difficult depending upon the friendliness or the hostility toward God in any given nation, but our job as the church is the same, and so our focus must be the same. To preach the word, as it says in First Timothy 4, in season and out of season, in times of Great persecution in times of relatively little persecution. In fact, the church has tended to thrive throughout church history most when the most persecution has been coming upon it, hasn't it? The blood of the martyrs has been the seed of the church, has been the expression. And in fact, when the church has met with the greatest prosperity and relatively little persecution in church history and has been looked upon with a friendly eye at times, that's where the church has grown most corrupt and has lost so much of its potency when it had been aligned with the political machines of the day. And so brothers and sisters, we must preach the word which speaks of the gospel in season and out of season. We must never take our eyes off of that task no matter what season we find ourselves in. And may I say this to all of us in our church family, may our ambitions and goals, may the values we stand upon and may our hopes in this life and for our nation and for the nations never be wrapped up in or preoccupied with less noble causes than the advance of the Gospel of Jesus Christ to our nation and to all the nations of the earth. May our ambition, each of us, and our goal in life, and our passion be as a church family and as individual believers in Christ. May our passion be that Christ's name would be great in our nation and among all the nations. And may our desire be to see people of every ethnicity, every people group go from unsaved to saved by the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we be passionate messengers of this glorious good news of Jesus Christ. It is good for us as citizens of this nation to do all that God is calling us to do, to be concerned about our nation and our world, and to do our best to secure its health and goodness to the best of our ability, and to do that prayerfully and with thanksgiving in our hearts. I refer here to First Timothy Chapter 2, verse 2, where the Word of God instructs us and commands us in this way. First of all, then, he's speaking here to believers and to the church. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. It's times like these, brothers and sisters, where... Times like these tempt us to see people in terms of which political party they belong to or who they support. But we see here in this passage in 1 Timothy 2, 2, that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We see here in Psalm 46, the passage that we read To be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But we see God's compassionate heart in 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, to the world, to the lost. And brothers and sisters, do we have, like God has, a desire for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? Does that compassion for all people of all political persuasions, does that mark us? May God give us grace to see people in terms of saved or unsaved. God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So you are either saved from the wrath of God on judgment day, by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, or you are an unbeliever and you are unsaved and you are heading for an eternity in hell. Not having believed in Christ, the only one mediator between God and man who could rescue you from that wrath, you are unsaved and heading for eternal wrath. And so we, as the people of God, are to see people In the distinction of whether or not they are saved or whether or not they are unsaved. Whether or not they have come to a knowledge of the truth or not. If they have, they are our brother and sister in Christ. And may our unity revolve around that reality. If they're not, then they are unsaved. And they are to be viewed with compassion and prayer. As sinners in need of Jesus Christ. And in need of salvation. So we should pray. This election and its results will help us to know who we are to pray for specifically. I urge then that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life. A life of prayer. A life of trusting in the Lord. And so we will know After this week, as we head into this election, who we are to specifically pray for. And we should pray for our president and everybody who is in government and call out to God that he would save them if they're not saved and he would give them wisdom to govern in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. May prayers and intercessions be lifted up. And I want to ask all of us, are we praying for the men and women in government in our nation? And are we praying for the governments of the nation's? Do we pray with compassion on our heart and pray for them or not? May we excel in that great task and in that command in First Timothy two, two, brothers and sisters. We should pray. And we should vote. Our nation also gives us the right to vote, and men and women have died. To help preserve this right. And for that, brothers and sisters, we should be grateful and we should vote. As you do, vote with thanksgiving and peace in your heart. Trusting in the absolute sovereignty of God. Be still and know that He is God as you vote on Tuesday. God is sovereign over the nations. He rules over all the empires of man. And I want to give a big picture sketch of that. And as I do that, I'm going to fly through some scriptures that I believe are going to really encourage your heart. In Daniel, the book of Daniel, you can turn there in your Bibles together with me. After the book of Ezekiel is the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And Daniel, God gives Daniel a dream which describes four empires. Babylon, Persia, Greek, and Roman, and lays out for Daniel and the king of Babylon what the next 1,500 years was going to look like back when Daniel was ministering in Babylon between 586 and 516 BC. This description Of this dream shows what God's going to do in the affairs of the nations. He's going to bring up an empire, and then he's going to bring it down. And it's one empire after the next that God describes later on in the book of Daniel. And it's important for us to remember that God is sovereign over the empires. In Proverbs 21, one, the word of God says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is sovereign over the heart of kings and the heart of rulers and politicians. He's sovereign over all things. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, if you look there as you've turned to Daniel, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. That phrase there, He changes times and seasons. In one translation it says, God controls the course of world events. I love that phrase. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and He sets up kings. And the heart of the king is like a water course in the hands of the Lord. He determines wherever He wants to take it. And Daniel, the king, in this section here, in this context in Daniel 2, it seems like he's going to rule in such a way that will no longer be in conflict with the people of God. And Daniel, actually, at the end of chapter 2, if you look at the header right before verse 46, it says, Daniel is promoted. So there's this conflict, and there's this low ebb, and all the people pray, and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pray, and... Daniel at the end is promoted in a time where persecution was greatly threatened. And you're starting to think, oh my goodness, thank goodness that the purposes of God are going to be able to go forth better in Babylon because Daniel's promoted. And then at the end of 48, you turn to in verse 49, then there's a transition in Daniel chapter 3, just a few verses after Daniel's promoted and you read this, Daniel 3, 1 king nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold and if you remember daniel chapter 3 you remember what happens through political intrigue and through the heart of the king a golden image is set up and everybody had to bow down to it including the people of israel who were commanded by god in the ten commandments never to bow down to a graven image and yet here's this golden image set up so what do we do How quickly political tides and leaders can change. And you could think in one day that you're safe, and then the next you could be threatened with the fiery furnace. But we see that there could be total peace when you trust in the sovereignty of God. There are times, and here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon, the people of Israel in Babylon, there are times when the law of our land will come into conflict with God and His law. And the people of God must stand firm upon the Word of God and not bow to the golden image, to the spirit of this age, even if we are being threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace. And they were. In fact, there are times when it seems that the furnace, like Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel 3, is heated up seven times hotter for us as Christians as the people of God and. We should not complain of that, but rather look at it as the golden opportunity it is to watch God work. Because what we see in this beautiful description in the fiery furnace, I love this, I love reading this scripture. I don't care if you are five years old and you're just learning to read, or you're 55 years old and you've been reading your Bible throughout your life. Daniel chapter 3 and the description of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Standing and getting thrown into the fiery furnace and not getting burned is just awesome. (laughs) Don't you love this story in Scripture? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. And right before they are, Nebuchadnezzar threatens, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. In verse 15, And he asked this question, Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Uh, You're about to meet him. (laughs) The king's order was urgent. The furnace overheated. It was so hot that the men who actually threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace died because it was so hot. But then when they were in the fire... In verse 24, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Doing a little math here. (laughs) He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Oh, it gives me the chills down my back. (laughs) This here many theologians describe as a pre-incarnate appearing of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, dancing in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as all four of them remained unsinged and they were delivered and king nebuchadnezzar the king rises up and praises god and says oh how great are his signs daniel 4 verse 3 how mighty his wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation oh brothers and sisters let us not forget That God can move in the heart to do anything He desires. He can bring praise to His great name out of the heart of the most secular of rulers and kings, as He did in the case with Nebuchadnezzar. He is sovereign over the effects of flames. And when He determines that the flame will not burn His people, it does not burn His people, no matter how hot. The king makes the furnace. It reminds me of Isaiah 43. Remember this description? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, says the Lord. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. There in Daniel is a direct fulfillment of that scripture. So may we be prepared, brothers and sisters, as persecution even rises as the return of Christ approaches. May we not bow before the spirit of the age. Let us trust in the sovereignty of God who prevents fire from burning his people at times and stops the mouth of lions whenever he chooses. And to that reference, it's referring to Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And I wish I could read that and get all fired up with you, but I just don't have time. But the lions didn't eat Daniel, they ate Daniel's persecutors. And that's always the way it is with God's people, ultimately. When nations have been at their worst, and political maneuverings have been at their most evil throughout the history of the world, God advances his purposes. In the book of Esther, Haman plots against the people of God to destroy them, and yet by the end of the book, the people of God are secure, and Haman is destroyed by his own gallows that he built to kill Mordecai the Jew on. And the people of God were safe and praising God. The nation of Egypt back in Exodus resolves to keep the people of God in slavery, and they do for 450 years. But God says enough is enough. Raises up Moses to go and say, Yahweh says, let my people go, that they may worship and serve me in the desert. And Pharaoh says, No. And his armies and the Egyptian empire rise up to say no. Well, who wins? God and His purpose always prevails. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, with him and his men, there's this description of Joshua and his men having their foot on the neck of five different kings at one time that God was bringing down because He was bringing His people into the promised land. And when God determines to do something in His sovereignty... Nothing can stop His plan. Philistines and the giant Goliath rise up, and a little shepherd boy with no armor holds up the head of Goliath that he cut off with Goliath the giant's own sword because God's purposes on this earth cannot be stopped. The Assyrian Empire rose up in pride and God raised up Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, to bring judgment down upon the northern tribes of Israel in 722 B.C. when he laid siege to and leveled Samaria. And then Sennacherib in his pride said, you know what, I'm going to go take Jerusalem too. And God sent, as he was laying siege to Jerusalem and threatening the people of God, God sent one angel, one in the night and in the morning when the people of Israel arose, they saw that that one angel put to death 185,000 Assyrian troops in one night. That's just one angel. We're not talking about a lack of power here, brothers and sisters. God can do anything He wants and nothing can stop His plan I love to delight in the power and the sovereignty of God, and it brings such peace and comfort to us that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In times of trouble, I was reminded of Elisha and the servant Gehazi looking out over the fields, and Elijah Gehazi's getting all nervous and and going crazy over the opposition by the arm of flesh coming against him. And Gehazi says, "Lord, please open Gehazi's eyes." Elijah says, and he looks up, opens his eyes, and there was just these armies of angels, because more are with us than are with them, and that's always how it is. God always advances His purpose. Nothing can stop His plan. And soon after, Sennacherib and the Assyrian Empire were completely crushed. And Babylon, the empire of Babylon took its place. Even when God's people were sent through God's plan into exile to Babylon due to their wickedness against Him, And Babylon takes the people of Israel away in 586 B.C. after they laid siege to Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem and brought the people into exile. God protects and preserves them and prospers His cause there, even in the case of Daniel here. He tells them, you're going to be exiled for 70 years through the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then after 70 years, you'll return. And when all seems hopeless and this little remnant is languishing in Babylon, away from Jerusalem. The temple's destroyed and the walls of Jerusalem lay as rubble. God raises up the empire of Persia. And then God raises up Cyrus the king, whom He calls My Servant. And Cyrus the king of Persia somehow gets it into his heart that he wants to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. Because in God's providence, the Lord brings His people into favor in His eyes. And the city of Jerusalem, its walls and its temple are rebuilt and reestablished. And God, under the power of, Cyrus, under the power of Almighty God and His sovereignty, sends the Jews who were in captivity in Persia back to Jerusalem. And Cyrus actually says, oh, and by the way, we're going to pay for all this. And so in 516 B.C., 70 years after 586 B.C., you have the people return from exile back into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, and God fulfills his holy word yet again. Persia is later brought down, and the Greek empire arises. Alexander the Great conquers the then known world, and though there are 400 years where there are no scriptures being written, there's prophetic silence during that intertestamental period, God is at work still in the Greek empire. It was during that time... I love it. This just Oh, I get so excited about this. It was during that time that most of the world, which was very tribal in orientation with many different languages, come under one universal language, the Greek language. Which the Roman Empire kept in place after the Romans took over. And in the providence of God... That Greek language, which became universal and common, paved the way for the New Testament to be written in Greek so that from Jerusalem all the way throughout the Mediterranean, the gospel could be preached and all would understand Christ and what he's done on the cross for them and how he rose from the dead for them and be saved. The scriptures could be written in one language in the New Testament and learn that the word of God could go forth with power and speed the Greek Empire then dissipates in power and the Roman Empire rises up for a thousand years. It's all prophesied about in the book of Daniel. There was much wickedness in the Roman Empire, many low ebbs for the people of God. Great persecutions came about upon the people of God from the Roman Empire, from emperors like Nero and others. However, that's not all that took place. Under the Roman Empire, I just love this. Road systems were built that connected the entire Mediterranean world and made it easy to travel greater and greater distances. This paved the way for the gospel to travel throughout the Roman Empire through the apostles and others with that one common language so that people could get saved in mass and churches could get planted throughout the entire Mediterranean and for communication between the churches to happen. And so the world became united under one language largely. And the world became united under one large road system that paved the way for the gospel to go forth to the nations. God knows what he's doing. And under the Roman Empire, Jesus comes. And he's crucified under Pontius Pilate, who Jesus says to him, uh, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You're not in power, Pilate. God's in power. And he's crucified under Pontius Pilate, but he rises again. And I love this quote. Listen carefully to this quote. We must never forget that the place where the triumph of evil seems so obvious and God's saving care seemed most hidden was at the cross. God's sovereign rule over nature and history in general cannot be separated from his saving purpose. Listen, just as we find God in the low places of this world, lying in a dirty feeding trough in Bethlehem, wearily treading the road to Jerusalem, and crying out in dereliction, the state of having been abandoned. That's what dereliction means. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? We trust that God is most present in our lives, precisely where He seems most hidden. At the moment of the greatest injustice, when God seemed to be the most absent, God was most active and victorious. Amen and amen. This is how it is with you, believer. This is how it is with His church. We might look and not be able to see and trace God's hand, but we... No, and it seems at times, Lord, where are you? God is very active. He is a very present help in times of trouble. So do not fear. Do not fear, brothers and sisters. No matter whatever comes to pass, He is on His throne and He rules and reigns with absolute sovereignty, power, goodness, and infinite wisdom. After the resurrection and the ascension in Acts, you have Herod rising up in political power in Acts 12. James, the Christian, is beheaded for Christ, which brings great grief upon the church. The church is wondering what's going to happen. Peter's thrown into prison. The church, the little fledgling church, is nervous that all is going to come to an end right here. But by the end of chapter 12, you have Peter miraculously delivered from prison. You have Herod who beheaded James in the beginning of the chapter. Herod is boasting in this political speech about how great he is and the changes he's going to bring about. And the people actually give him praise and say he's, he's like a god and not a man. And Herod's like, you know what, you're right. And right at that moment an angel comes and strikes Herod down and it says he is eaten by worms and he dies. God rules over the pride of man and the rising up of nations and men. And brothers and sisters, let us never forget that. But you know that's not how the chapter ends. The chapter says, oh, Herod, yeah, he's eaten by worms and he's gone. But the word of the Lord continued to spread. It's always how it happens with God's people and with God's church. It might seem like we are knocked down, but we are always, as the prophetic word came forth this morning, we are rising up. The people of God who have been saved by grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit. No matter how much you persecute us, no matter how much you drive us down, because of God and His goodness, the word of the Lord continues to spread. You can't stop His purposes. You can't stop His plan. You can send His people into exile, into a foreign land, and even there, they're going to prosper there. The kingdom of God's going to go forth to the nations as it has always done and it will ever continue to do until the gospel goes forth to the nations, and then the end will come. The word of God's going to continue to spread. The people of God will continue to be preserved, brothers and sisters, and so we will be as well. The kingdom of God's going to continue to advance. Christ's church will continue to be built because Jesus promised in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. We've received a kingdom, Hebrews says, that cannot be shaken. All the political empires and all of the pride of man and its political ambitions rise up and they come crashing down, but not with God's people and with God's church and with God's kingdom. He determines to build it and though it might seem like it's a little tiny mustard seed, it's going to grow and it's going to spread. And no matter how hostile the conditions, heat up the persecution, heat up the furnace, because God's just going to get more glory. Satan, it just torments him that every time he rages and rages all the more, God says, nah, I'm going to advance my church in this heat. And I'm going to advance my purposes for my glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a happy, happy thought in the midst of wondering what's going to come next. And after all of this... The Gospel is going to go forth to the nations even in the midst of much persecution and satanic opposition in fulfillment of the Scriptures. And then the end will come. Christ will return triumphantly. I was meditating on that in worship. The Holy Spirit was just encouraging me. He is always leading us in triumphal procession in Christ. Christ will return triumphantly and will conquer over all and will end all. This present world will burn as God brings His judgment by fire, described in Second Peter chapter three. And the nations will be judged. Christ will judge the living and the dead. The unsaved will be sent to hell and receive justice for their sins. And those who, by the mercy and grace of God, have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ will enjoy the new heavens and new earth, saved forever with Christ. And so, the people of God will live happily ever after. It's a happy ending, brothers and sisters. Unbelievers... It's not a happy ending for you. We want to, with all the love in our heart and compassion in our heart, as forgiven sinners here, the church, we want to appeal to all of you, whoever you might be. God is a merciful God. His arms are open wide right now to receive you if you will repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Friend, please listen to me. Your good works and being a good person is not enough to get you into heaven. You are not going to make it without Christ and faith in Him. You are not going to be able to stand before the holiness of God on Judgment Day with your own righteousness and think that that's going to be acceptable to God. It's not acceptable to God for many of us. The only reason we as the people of God are going to receive mercy on that day is because Christ has already taken the punishment for our sins on the cross, in our place, and we've trusted in Him. Won't you please trust in Him, unbeliever? Don't continue to persist in your hardness of heart and be damned. We want you to be in heaven with us when you die. We want to rejoice together with you forever. We want you to have the happy ending that all of us in this room who have believed are going to experience forever. So, my dear brothers and sisters, back to you. Happy ending. Be at peace. In the words of Psalm 46, a Holy Spirit minister to our entire church, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. So Christ community, go vote, but be at ease as you do in your spirit, because God is in control, and nothing can stop His plan. And may we never put our trust in chariots, or in horses, or in men, or our nation, or the nation's but let us put our trust in God who rules over the nations and sits right now on His throne. And let us with the psalmist sing praise. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's sing. Tom, let's sing a beautiful hymn, When Peace Like a River tendeth my way it is well it is well with my soul church let us stand and sing that glorious hymn and put our trust and our confidence in the lord Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, hear this from the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Guests, thanks for coming. We're so glad to have you here today.